or if you don't have a Bible, this will be on the screen. Two passages of Scripture. The first is in Mark chapter 9. We'll read uh, beginning at verse 30, and the second one is in Matthew chapter 27. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, uh, Jesus that is, is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. There is the reading. And then verse 27, verse 40, uh, chapter 27, verse 45, Matthews. At noon, darkness fell. Everybody shout, darkness fell. Across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There ends the reading. Shout amen. Please be seated. Lord, we're asking you to work a miracle today through broken flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody shout, I, I don't get it. Shout, shout it. For those of you who are joining us for... <clears throat> Uh, for the very first time, you're at the end of a, of a series that we have entitled Faith in the Midst of Doubt, of Faith in the Midst of Our Doubt. And uh, what the big idea of this, uh, this time of study together is that in order for us to grow and deepen our faith, we have to be extremely honest about what our doubts are and engage those doubts and dialogue with those doubts. If you've been with us, you know that we spent most of this series in Mark chapter 9. It's a remarkable story that is surrounding this episode where Jesus meets this father whose son has been suffering uh, for years uh, at the hand of an evil spirit. And he asks Jesus for help. He says, essentially, help me if you can. And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? All things are possible for them that believe. And the father screams out, hey, I believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. And when it comes to the question of suffering and evil, there's no greater question that challenges our perspective on faith than questions around suffering and evil. And so we want to deal with that a little bit today. As you know, the story ends by Jesus uh, evicting the evil spirit, and the text says that the boy falls as though he's dead on the ground. Jesus catches him by the hand, lifts him up, and then a few verses later, it says what we just read, that Jesus uh, and his disciples left the region. He wanted to spend some private time with them because he knew, Jesus that is, that his time was growing short. And then he gives us this, this interesting uh, passage which appears three times in three chapters he essentially says this actually the king james version actually uses the term suffering he says i just want you to know when i get to jerusalem i'm going to suffer many things and as the new living translation says i'll be betrayed uh, into the hands of my enemies that's a form of suffering and i will be killed then he says but everybody shout but in three days, this is the awesome but, in three days, I will rise from the dead. So I thought what we should do is follow Jesus 
if we're going to talk about suffering and evil, let's follow Jesus and find him on the cross, the Son of God on the cross, this most brutal and horrific act of uh, uh, experience of suffering one could have. And, and what does this tell us? Well, first of all, the text begins by saying that from noon to 3 p.m., darkness fell. Everybody shout, darkness fell. I think that's an insightful phrase. Because whenever we're dealing with suffering in our lives, when, when we're dealing with the fact that our, 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 our girlfriend walked off with some other person, or when we're dealing with the fact that we got a diagnosis that, uh, that says that now we've got to go get chemo treatments, or when we're dealing with uh, having been unemployed for eight months, that whenever we're struggling with suffering in our lives, it actually feels like, for most of us, that the lights have been turned off. That we're in this place of dark, that darkness has fallen. So I think this is a good metaphor. It's a good image uh, to use to talk about the suffering that's in our lives. Our second thing is that as we see Jesus on the cross and hear him shout out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken or abandoned me? There are a couple of quick insights that this teaches that, that is at the very heart of our Christian faith for those who follow Jesus. The first is, uh, it, it, it teaches us that suffering is real. Everybody say real. Jesus was not having an illusion on the cross. Those were real nails in his hands, real stakes in his feet. He had been beaten beyond recognition all night long that his cry reveals the fact that suffering is real. There's no, uh, in a sense, no subconscious state that we can reach that will uh, enable us ultimately to deny the reality of suffering. Suffering is real. For all of us, one day or another, we will run into suffering. All of us. Secondly, he teaches us that suffering can feel and be overwhelming. And not only do we hear it in the cry on the cross, but when we find Jesus at, the friend, at his friend's Lazarus grave, we, we, the text tells us that anger balls up in him, rolls up in him, rises up in him, and that he literally weeps. And in the weeping at Lazarus' grave and in the, and in the yell my God, my God, on the cross, Jesus frees us up. And he says, yes, it's okay for you to acknowledge that sometimes the suffering in your life just feels overwhelming. And it's all right for you to cry. It's all right for you to scream. It's, it's all right for you uh, to, in a sense, yell and, and all of that. Just do it with hope. Everybody say hope. That's what's unique about the believer and, 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 and others who are, those of us who are believers, that as we enter it, we, we do so with a sense of hope. Thirdly, he teaches us that not only can suffering feel, and oftentimes is it overwhelming, but he also teaches us that oftentimes suffering is unfair and undeserved. I mean, Jesus was, in his, he was, you know, in terms of character and beha behavior, completely innocent. 
He did not deserve to be there. As a matter of fact, theologically, he was there uh, paying the price for all of our sins. He was innocent. And so if you feel like that some of the suffering that you're in is really unfair and it's really undeserved, the gospel would teach us, Christian faith teaches us, that oftentimes that is true. Now, I say oftentimes, not always, because sometimes we can do some crazy stuff and create our own suffering. But oftentimes, it's just unfair to get a diagnosis of lung cancer and you've never smoked one day in your life. Just unfair, undeserved. The Christian faith affirms that. And, of course, hearing Jesus make, scream from the cross uh, reminds us that while not only is it real suffering, not only uh, is it overwhelming, not only is it undeserved, but it should never be a surprise to us. If Jesus went through suffering, what makes you and I think we can escape it? So we are taught in healthy Christian faith that we have to expect that suffering is going to show up in our life. Just keep living. It's going to show up. Now, we may be surprised at, at how it manifests itself, right? We may, we may never have expected our, our husband to walk off and leave us. We may, we may be surprised at how it manifests itself. But at the end of the day, every one of us, we have to expect to have a ruthless encounter with suffering. As long as we keep living, it's a part of life, the brokenness of life. But here's the final insight that I think that Jesus screamed from the cross reminds us of, and that is that suffering, depending on the lens through which we look at it, depending upon how we respond to it, suffering can sometimes be very useful. And there, I suspect that there are some folk here who's gone, who you've gone through some suffering, you've gone through sickness, you've gone through some relationship pain, you've gone through some, but, but the reality is you've actually gone through and you've come out on the other side. And, and, if, and, and if you had a chance to talk to someone, you would tell them, you know what? I am better now than I were before I went through it. Sometimes, based on our response, Suffering can be, not that we want it, not that we will sign up for it, not that we will ask for it, not that we will trade anything for it, but since it's going to come, sometimes it can be useful. So since suffering, as I've described it and as the Christian faith presents it, is unavoidable, just unavoidable. How should we seek to manage the darkness, the suffering and the evil and the pain when it comes? You see, everybody will suffer, whether you believe or not. This is the premise of this teaching. You and I, we will suffer. There's no question about it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm arguing today that we have some resources that helps us manage the suffering. Resources, inner resources that God gives us. Well, 
Here's how I want to talk about it. We're going to learn these lessons from Jesus right there on the cross. Last week, I uh, flew into Boston and uh, left here Thursday night, landed Friday morning, and uh, connected with my son on Friday afternoon. Saturday morning, I was uh, preaching the memorial service of one of my former elders from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Not only was she an elder, but she was the clerk of our board. And we served together almost 10 years, an amazing woman. Her name was Jane Bailey, who had died as a result of Crohn's disease. I'm sitting in the audience was her mother. And you're talking about the lights going out. When you have to bury, when you're in your 80s and you have to bury your daughter, lights go out. I'm suffering. Sitting in the audience was her only son who she had poured her life into. And he's in his uh, late 20s, mid to late 20s. You're talking about suffering. Sitting in audience were her siblings who had gotten the word a few days before Christmas as they were there because Jane, because of Crohn's disease, she would go in and out of the hospital on a regular basis. She had always was, she was dealing with complications related to it. And, 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 and so this time she went into the hospital. They were just sure it was the normal process. And, and, and she would come out, but the, the doctor walked out after working with her and said, she's gone. You're talking about lights going out. A few days before Christmas. So I went to preach this memorial, this amazing woman who was a partner for me in ministry for, for, for at least a decade. And... And, and as I thought about it, uh, some insights that shaped that moment, that's helping to shape even our time together. Uh, one of the insights came from the fact that there we were in Roxbury Presbyterian Church. And I remembered that about 20 years ago, before the renovation of the building, uh, I had convened a meeting of about 30 leaders from across, religious leaders from across Boston, and we were down in the basement, and we were working hard to give birth to an organization that would later be called the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization. And we were in the basement, and, and there's no real light that come in. The church is 130 years old, uh, and, and the electrical system was, was rickety, and, 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 and without warning, the lights went out. And, of course, I'm, I've got 30 leaders I'm hosting from all around the city, and we suddenly, in dark, in the basement. It takes me about 15 seconds to get past my embarrassment moment. And then I find my way up the stairs, and I get some candles that we use in worship. And we brought the candles down, and we lit those candles, and we kept right on working. So here's the first insight here. When you wake up in darkness, when you wake up in the darkness of suffering and pain in your life, whatever the expression it is, here's the first insight, light a candle. Come on, tell somebody next to you, say light a candle. And when I say light a candle, here's what we learn from Jesus as he screams from the cross. Note his words. My God, my God, 
Why hast thou forsaken me and uh, abandoned me? And there, there are some folk who think, man, maybe he's having a theological moment. Maybe he's having a crisis of faith. But no, no, what he's doing is he's quoting scripture. Because though that, that, those words is scripture, Psalms 22, it begins with those same words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken or abandoned me? Why are you so far away from me? And what Jesus is doing, he's, yes, he's giving us permission to be honest about our feelings. Yes, he's giving us permission to express this notion of being overwhelmed. But he's also teaching us that when you're in the darkness of your suffering, you light a candle. And the way you do it is by leaning into your faith. Come on, tell somebody, lean in. That's what he was doing. You lean into your faith. You draw on the scriptures that you have learned. You, you draw on the power of prayer. You come in here. There are many, I'm sure, who will say from time to time that you come in here, you're not feeling like coming to church. You're not feeling like because you're going through some pretty horrible stuff in your life. And the best you could do is actually get in here and you see us standing and waving our hands. But you, you, you can't, you know, your worship is, you, your worship of God was, you, you made it. You showed up. That was the best you could do. And, 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 but after the, the experience of worship and the teaching and the fellowship, somehow when you get ready to leave, you leave here feeling so much better, feeling charged up, feeling empowered, feeling hopeful again, you know, because you leaned into your faith. When you wake up in dark times, guys, men and women, light a candle. Light a candle. Now, here's what, here's, here's what you can expect. The verse that Jesus was quoting starts with the words, why? Here's what you can expect. When you lean into your faith, very rarely will leaning into your faith answer the question of why. Most times it won't. Why am I going from chemo treatment to chemo treatment? And I'm just in my mid-40s. Why? That has my wife left me for some other person and I, I sought to be as faithful as I could. Why did my, my, my brother have to die in this unexpected car accident as great of a guy as he, as he was? Why have I been unemployed for, for, for 12 months as, as educated and as skilled and as trained as I am? Why am I having trouble with my children and my grandchildren? and they're mistreating me. Why? 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 Leaning into your faith rarely answers those questions. It's all right for you to ask it, but I just want you to know, rarely will leaning into your faith answer that question. Why? What leaning into your faith does, while it will not answer the question why most times, it will answer the question how. How? Will I survive going from chemo treatment to chemo treatment? How will I keep on living even though my girlfriend has left me for somebody else? How, how will I find hope even though my beloved brother has, been, has died in this horrible car accident? How, how will I continue to be loving and filled with a degree of 
of faith and sweetness despite the fact that my children and my grandchildren are mistreating me? How will I hold on to this notion that if I keep looking, if I keep searching, I'll find a job at some point despite the 12 months of unemployment? How will I do it? How will I get through it? How will I get through it? And it's when you lean into your faith, that's when you find the answer and the power to how will I get through it? So what do you mean? I grew up, my parents who came through tough times, one of their favorite scriptures they would like to quote uh, is, I will lift up my eyes to the Lord from whence cometh my, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's a how, y'all. Uh, 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 if anybody ever been going through a tough time and you quoted this text, uh, 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 the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, 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 and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. That's an answer to the how, y'all. If, 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 if you've ever quoted the text, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. That's an answer to the how. That's hope there, right? If you've ever quoted the text, uh, 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 the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He is the strength of my life. Of what shall I be afraid? That's an answer to the how, y'all. Uh, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of anyone. The things that God has prepared for those that love him, that's an answer to the how. All things work together for the good for those that love God. Come on now, and a call according to his purpose. That's an answer to the how. I can get through because I know he's with me and he will not leave me. He loves me. He's for me. It's an answer to the how. How? You light a candle. You lean into your faith. Liz, Jane's sister, shared the story that they were going through her things and they found three Bibles. One of them worn, marked up. Evidently Jane read those scriptures, highlighted, wrote notes. And what they didn't realize is that as they were looking through her Bible and seeing all the highlights, they were looking at all the different times when Jane lit a candle. They found her journal, and her journal was packed of prayers. To their surprise, they didn't find many prayers, if any, where she was asking God to heal her, but they found she'd written out her prayers. She was praying for nurses. She was praying for her, her doctors. She was praying for her son, and she was praying that God would give her strength to make it from day to day. And as they were reading her prayers, they were looking at all the different times that Jane lit a candle. When you wake up in the midst of suffering, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the ability to light a candle in the dark. You can lean into your faith. So tell somebody, light a candle. Right. Secondly, secondly, uh, not only 
or you call the light a candle, but listen to this as we watch Jesus. Everybody shout, refuse. Refuse, refuse to allow the darkness, the suffering around you to put out the light within you. Everybody say refuse. Now, Jesus is the one who's quoting scripture. He's declaring, my God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? And the text says that thick darkness falls. It's over the whole earth. There's seemingly no lights anywhere. And yet we're reminded that Jesus also says in John chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And as we watch him on the cross, we will see how the darkness around him did not put the light out within him. For he taps into his purpose even while he's suffering and even while he's dying. You know, pull back the curtain on, the, on his time uh, uh, there on the cross and read both all of the Gospels. They have a different perspective on his last words, seven last words. And, and, and Matthew will remind us that while he was dying, he was looking down at the people who were the source of his suffering. Looking down at the folk as they gamble over, they put him, they crucified him, they're gambling over his clothes. And here's what Jesus does. He says, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at him doing the work of forgiveness. Do you see his light in the midst of the suffering around him? And then there's a fellow on the side of him who recognizes that he is the savior of the world. And he says, hey, when you get in your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus declares, uh, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Look at him doing the work of salvation even as he dies. Or remember when his mother's down at the foot of the cross, she's, you, I can't imagine the pain that she must have been going through. And, and he looks at her, knows that she needs provision. And so he says, mother, uh, 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 look, behold your son. He's pointing to John down there, the, the other disciples. He's, he's giving her to him. And he says to John, John, behold your new mother. In other words, Step up and take responsibility for my mother. Look at his light shine even while he's dying. You have to make sure that the darkness around you don't put the light within you out. When I asked Jane about uh, when I asked the people who knew Jane, because I hadn't seen her in four years, about her life, and give me a word or two that would describe her. Like one person said, a gentle spirit. Another person said, sweet. Another person said, courageous and strong. Another person said, a delightful friend. And, and I'm wondering, here's a woman who's going in and out of the hospital. Here's a woman who wakes up in the middle of the night in horrendous pain. Here's a woman who's been dehabilitated and, and cut off often from even the ability to go to church. I mean, I would have understood if they had said uh, uh, mean, if they had said bitter, if they had said she's the kind of person that, you know, that would rain on your... I mean, because, because that's, that's what pain can do to us. It can, it can make us bitter. It can put the light out. But in fact... Uh, 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 Jane was able to keep the light within her burning. Come on now. Even while she was working through her suffering. Well, 
How does that work? How does that work? It has a lot to do with perspective. Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. I picked it up in the Washington Post. And the Washington Post picked it up from a paper in North Carolina. And evidently, uh, in North Carolina, they, have this, they figured this out. They're trying to deal with this in a unique way. They figured out that vets who come back from Afghanistan and Iraq, we have some here who served, that they come back with PTSD. And that the PTSD drives vets into, into horrendous, and horrendous behaviors that often end them up in horrendous trouble. But in North Carolina, they concluded that if the vet got that way by trying to keep us safe, maybe our first reaction shouldn't be punitive. Maybe we ought to try to find a way to help. So they've created what they called, uh, in North Carolina, what they called a, a veteran treatment court. And so this story comes that there's a judge. The vet came before him. He had been before the judge 25 times. He'd been in trouble 25 times. But this vet had earned four purple hearts in Afghanistan. That tells you what kind of hero he was. He, he is, because he's still alive. And but this 25th time, he had failed his drug test. And so now the judge is compelled to sentence him. So the judge sentences him to one night in jail. So the bailiff takes the vet away, and, and, and they ship him over to the jail house, and he, he moves in. He walks into the jail cell, and they close the cell. A few minutes later, the vet's sitting on his cot, his small cot, looks, and there's the judge outside the cell. And he hears the judge says to the bailiff that's with him, open up. They open the door. The judge walks in. The judge tells him to close the door. They close the door. The, the vet is saying, why are you here? What are you going to do? Why are you here? And the judge says, well, I'm going to spend the night with you. I, I, I'm going, I had to sentence you to one night in jail, so I'm going to join you in your sentencing. So they, they interviewed the judge later. They said, why would you do something? By the way, the article for this, I think the title for the article, this article is, is, is a judge, uh, Extraordinary Compassion for a Vet. I think that's the name of the article. And so they were interviewing the judge later. They said, why would you do that? And the judge says, well, there's two reasons. Number one, the judge says, I'm a vet. In other words, the judge was a vet. The judge had served in Afghanistan. The judge knew firsthand what it was like to have road bombs go off and, and knew firsthand what it was like to see people who you partnered with, your good friends, killed right in front of you. You couldn't do it. The judge understood the trauma that came with P PTSD. He said, you know, I, I'm a vet. He said, number two, while I had to sentence him, uh, uh, I was worried about what what happened to him in that isolated small cell, I was afraid his PTSD would get the best of him if he was there by himself. So I decided to go join him in his sentence. And, 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 and the article said this, so they stayed up all night talking almost like father and son until the sun came. Well, most of you probably, if I asked you before I told you to study uh, the story, do you want to get to know your judge? And most of us said, no, we don't want to know the judge. As a matter of fact, uh, we want to stay as far away from the judge as possible. Uh, 
But if you discovered that the judge, come on now, was the kind of person who had lived through your experiences, and even though he might have to sentence you to a time of suffering, that he or she would join you in that suffering, I think you'd want to know that judge. Wouldn't you want to know that judge? I think you'd want to know his or her name. And that's Jesus on the cross who says if you live life, you will ultimately run into the sentence of suffering. But don't worry. I've joined you in the suffering, and I know what it's like. Don't you see me here on the cross? I know what it's like for you to suffer. I've suffered for you, so now you can depend on me suffering with you. Isn't that good news? That's how Jane kept from becoming mean and bitter. Because she never lost sight of the fact that the God she worshipped was with her. And he would see her through. And she had hope. But she also had a sense of purpose. Here's one of the things that suffering will do for you. And I talked about how suffering can be useful. Here's one of the things that suffering will do. Suffering will more often, will oftentimes sharpen your sense of purpose. So why? Well, many of us in regular everyday life, our priorities are kind of different. We're living, you know, most of us are living for what we can gain, for what we can get. And we're living because, you know, we, we, we need, we're living for to get a bigger house and we're living because we, we're working so hard because we want to get two walk-in closets to hold all of the clothes and the shoes that we need to get. We're, we're working, we're working so hard, you know, because uh, we, want, we want to be able to take, you know, three vacations. And, and we're working because we want a greater promotion that's going to add to our sense of value. So we're pouring and we're working 12 hours and 13 hours a day. But he, here's the deal. If a real serious bout of suffering hits you, it has a tendency of reordering our priorities. It tends to help us to realize what's really significant in life. And I've never heard anybody on their deathbed or going through their treatment saying, I wish I had worked a few more hours. I've never heard anybody uh, on their deathbed saying, you know what, I wish we had added that extra closet. But, 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 but suffering has a way of, of reordering our priorities. It's not how big the house is that matters. It's how good the home is that really matters. We figure that out in suffering. It's not how many closets we have full of clothes, but it's how warm we make the people feel who are in our lives. We figure that out in suffering. about what really matters. People really matters. Our relationship really matters. Discovering a sense of purpose really matters. Now, Jesus was living out his purpose. He was, he was in the act of saving the world as he dies. I know there are some of you who say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. Well, if you don't know what your purpose is, let me give you a clue right now. 
when Jesus, two verses down from the passage that I read, Jesus walks into a room, and when he walks into the room, the disciples are debating. He says to them, what are you arguing about? They go quiet because they're embarrassed to tell him. You know what they were arguing about? They were arguing about who's the greatest among us. You see what I mean by misplaced priorities? They didn't want to admit it to Jesus, but Jesus being Jesus already knew. And so he said, let me help y'all with the question, who's the greatest? He said, if you want to be greatest, let him or her who would be first be last. Why? Because here's his bigger point. Because at the end of the day, the one who is the greatest is the one who's the servant of all. And what Jesus is saying, it's not how much you get, and it's not how much people talk about you. It's how much you give that creates something lasting. That's what he was saying. Now, that's part of why we did Beautiful Day, this notion of service. Listen, let me tell you a story that came out of Beautiful Day real quick. Uh, there was a, there's a janitor that's at the Columbian School. He was in what they call a janitor closet. And in the janitor closet, we took that on as a project. So we moved all his stuff out. And then we cleaned it up, painted it, put down rugs on the concrete, bought a new TV, bought a refrigerator, bought a microwave, brought in new furniture, had a bathroom in there. We cleaned up the bathroom and then brought some racks for him to put his stuff in. Then brought him back to see and then we changed the name. Rather than calling it a janitor closet, we renamed it, put a sign up there that said custodian office. And when he saw it, the tears, that I got to talk to him, the tears running down his face. And his basic question was this, why would y'all do this for a mere janitor? And, and, and I got to say to him, you're not just a mere janitor. That you have as much value with God as the principal and as the teachers and your job is just as significant as the principals and as the teachers and from now on when you walk in this office every day I want you to remember that God loves you and that you are highly valued and that you are a blessing that will make lasting memories all right 10 20 years from now I don't know what will have happened to that office but I do know that 20 years from now, he will remember, come on now, the, the, the blessing that we gave him, not the furniture, not the microwave, but the blessing of knowing how loved he is, how valuable he is, how important he is. The gift of service. That's why we're inviting you to be part of Summer Serve. Yes, we want you to help give our teachers a rest. Yes, you can be a blessing to the students, but, but there's something greater. Last weekend, one of the people who volunteered uh, said uh, in, to uh, our director of, volunteer, uh, of uh, Beautiful Day, said, I'm almost 50 years old. This is the first time I've ever done any volunteer work like this. And he said, and you know what? She said, what? 
he said, and I'm hooked. And, 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 and that's the point, you see, you see, you see, you may not know what your purpose, but whatever your purpose is, it always will have, if it's a God-given purpose, it will always have something to do with serving. And so we're inviting you to get up off the pew and to roll up your sleeves and to join us for summer serve because it's an opportunity for you to practice one of the most powerful transformational forces in the world, the, the capacity to serve. And I'm praying that at the end of the day, you'll be hooked. Maybe you won't continue to serve, and, and, and maybe you'll, it won't be uh, children's and youth ministry, but it'll be as a greeter, it'll be as a hospitality, it'll be waving people. But, but, but there's something that will catch fire. Maybe it won't even be here. It'll be on your job, or it'll be in your community. But there will be something that will catch fire in you that causes you to reorder your priorities so that you can do the greatest work of serving. Well, at the end, as I conclude, so when you wake up in the midst of darkness, suffering and pain, what do you do? How do you manage it? Light a candle. Lean into your faith. When you wake up, refuse to allow the darkness around you to pain the suffering that you're working through to put out the light within you. And then lastly, live knowing that the darkness, that the suffering, that the pain is temporary. See, the text says that the darkness started at 12 noon, but the same text says it was over at 3 p.m. Come on, the text says that he died on the cross, but flip over two pages to the end of Matthew, and you'll find that the women went there to his tomb, and they found an angel there, and the angel said, why are you here looking for him? Don't you remember what he said? He said that I will suffer, I will be betrayed, I will be killed, but three days later, I'll get up with all power. He's not here, he's risen as he said. Well, what's the, what's the, what's the power? Shout resurrection. That's, this, is, this is the great triumph. This is, this, is, this is why even with shed tears, I can look forward to seeing Jane again. Listen. Here, here's, here's, here's something that I learned recently, that some people, when they think about death, they've concluded that what's going to happen is that when you die, you're going to return to being electrons and protons floating in the infinite universe. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't inspire me. That, <laughs> that doesn't give me any hope. I, 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 I don't want to be, I don't look forward to dying and becoming, how impersonal, how, how unconscious that is, how, how just eternal existence as an electron and a proton. I, I, oh no, 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 no. Thank God for the gospel because Jesus' resurrection says it's a bodily resurrection and Paul teaches us from that and Paul says, you know what? But if you die in Jesus, you've got the hope of restoration and he says that on the other side, you're going to get new bodies and the new bodies are going to be better than the bodies that you have and you're going to get a new life and the new life is going to be better than any life that you lived on this side and in Revelation, he, he, he helps us to hear God declare Behold, I've made all things new and, 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 and bodily resurrection. That means that I'm looking forward to a reunion, that I'm not looking for electrons and protons. I'm looking for people. Come on now. I'm looking for faces that I can recognize. I'm looking for smiles that I can see again. I'm looking to hug Jane. I'm looking to shout with my mama. Y'all ain't listening. 
I'm looking for a time of grand celebration to remind me that the love of God has triumphed over evil. That's my hope. Is it your hope? Amen. Get your connection card. I have this quick question I want to ask you. I'm finished. You've been patient. Under the next steps, you'll see that. Listen to me. Some of you are sitting here thinking, Pastor, I like what I've heard, but I don't have that much faith. I want to tell you something today. Listen up. You have more faith than you know. I can prove it. You're here. Some got you here. You had enough faith to come. You have enough faith to listen. And you have enough faith to hope. You got more faith than you know. I want to challenge all of us. Don't leave it without taking one more step towards anchoring your hope in Jesus. For, for some, it's looking at the next step and, 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 and you, you say, you know, I know I'm going to suffer. I want to know when I run into suffering, I want to know that I've got a hope that won't let me go. I, I want to have what Jane Bailey has. I, I, I want to know that when I get ready to die, that I'm, I know that death will give way to life. I, I, want, I want to believe. And, and, and so for you, it's just a matter of checking the blank and says, you know what? I want, to, I want Jesus. I, I, want to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust him. For somebody else, you say, you know, I want to know that, but I'm not quite ready. I'm not sure. And I need more information. Well, then you ought to check that blank and say, you know what? I want more information. That's your step of faith. For somebody else, it's, you know, I, 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 you said, well, I've always said I was a Christian, but you've never been baptized, and now it's time to go public. And you should check that and say, I'm ready to do, make that. For others, it's serving, right? It's, it's being a volunteer. You said, you know what, I, 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 I want to unleash the greatest power on earth. That's love through serving. You check that. But most of us who are listening, here's the big question that I have. I, I think some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, and, and here's the question. Do you believe? Do you believe? And, 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 and if you can muster enough to say, I don't understand it all, but yes, I believe. I just want you to write that under the response to the message. Just simply say, yeah, yeah, I believe. Even if you have to follow it up and say, but Lord, help me to overcome my unbelief and turn it in. God bless you.